could literally see the walls as you're descending, and, and there was a, a, like a, an arrow like this that went from 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and there was a wheel, and what you were expected to do, uh, you had to stop, but you had to time it just right, turn this wheel, and it would, wherever you turned it to, it would stop, and it might be a foot high or two foot low, or if you got, that was a challenge, get really good, it would be right, right out, you'd just walk right out. And so, uh, Mr. Yancey, who was an attorney and also uh, the Florida State Congressman, hired me. And there was a staff already in place, and, and uh, he asked me to do an inventory of the building, and I did. And it was very obvious that, that, that it, was, it, it was way substandard for what he wanted and for the clientele that he had and what it could be. The brass was dull, dingy, the floors... <sighs> There was no shine to them, and they were made of material they were meant to shine. I mean, if you put brass on a building, there's a reason they put brass on a building. It's to shine. And, and so I quickly came to the assessment that the surfaces need cleaned, and I talked with the staff and, that were there, and they had their own rhythm of work, their own slow rhythm of work, their own rhythm that they got a paycheck but not doing a whole lot. And then I went down, and I began to make a survey of the instruments or the equipment they had to work with. And, and I found out as I went into the basement, I looked and I asked the one individual, the foreman, I said, what are all these 55-gallon drums? What are they? He said, oh, he said, oh they're, they're full of floor wax. I said, how many years has this been going on? And he told me, because he'd worked there for a couple decades. And what they were doing, they were, it was ordered, it was signed, delivered, it was paid for by someone upstairs, but the staff was storing it in the basement. So I decided... You know, if you walk into a situation where people have been there several years, the wrong thing to do, even if you have the power, is to use your power. How many understand that? I was Johnny-come-lately on the scene, and so I made friends with them. And I remember I asked the, 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 what I called elderly at that time because they're in their early 60s, and now I get offended if you call me elderly. But I asked them, how, would you show me how to use the floor machine? The stripper. How many know what the stripper is? And the buffer. And you've never had a ride in your life till you've got on the floor machine for the first time and it takes you like a drunken sailor down the hallway and if you let loose of it at the wrong time it'll spin around and catch you in the ribs. And, but what we decided to do was that we would strip and clean and wax one floor a week beginning in the lobby. And the brass was shined, and pretty soon the compliments started coming in, and the clientele, they were impressed, and they wanted to bring people there. And Mr. Yancey asked me, please, not to leave when I got ready to go on to another job. The gospel of Christ is just like that. It was never intended that we check the box on the, welcome, on the Connect card to say, Heavenly Father, today... I receive your salvation. I want to be forgiven to have a relationship with you and receive spiritual power. That is the entrance. 
But it was never intended that the gospel would be something that we check a box and say we've done that and we've got our reservation for heaven. We have to apply the mercies of God in our life. And when you do, Paul said that you you will be living proof of a loving God to this world and God will affect a great change in you and in my life from the inside out, praise his name. This morning as we look at the living and the eternal and the powerful word of God in Romans chapter 1, and he said this in the King James Version, and then we'll go to the NIV, he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. The NIV that I want to share with you this morning says this, that therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, and we're going to start there, in view of the mercy of God. Paul said, in view of the mercy of God, and he spends the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans talking about the mercies of God, and that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, the kindness of God, that he allows us, that he would draw us to repentance. Colossians 2 verses 13 and 14 says this, and I'll read this to you. Paul describes it. He said, when you were dead in your transgressions and your uncircumcision of your flesh. And what that means, uncircumcision of your flesh, was, was it means more than just being uncircumcised, but it also means a hard attitude that is not tender, cut, if you would, towards God. But when you were dead, He made you alive together with Him. Can someone say amen? He made you and me alive. We can no more be made alive in Jesus Christ than I could will myself to be born of my mother and father when I was just an idea. It takes the mercies of God in our life, something beyond us. Having forgiven us all of our transgression, he canceled out the certificate of debt. That's the certified debt, the debt that's been to the bill collector, and the debt that the bill collector calls and says, this is what's going to happen if you don't pay up. And when he forgave us our transgression, he canceled that certificate of debt. It consisted of decrees against us, certified, verified, signed off on. And those decrees were hostile to us. We were in debt. And the things because of that debt, those decrees were against us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Can someone say, praise God, he nailed it to the cross. He himself bore our sins, our sorrows, and our sickness, having been nailed to the cross. And when he disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them having triumphed over them through him, praise God. That's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When Christ raised from the dead, he overcame death, hell, and the grave. He made a public display of his enemies. On the cross, when he said it was finished, 
It meant that his work was finished. He satisfied the demands of the certificate debt against us. But when he raised from the dead, that meant it was done indeed. And there's no more question about it. Praise his name. When we were, uh, when I was a kid growing up, we had a, a guy that was our song leader. We didn't have worship, then we had singing. How many know what I'm talking about? There's no projections. They didn't, hadn't even heard of overhead projectors at that time. Or if they did, our church was so small and poor we couldn't afford one. And so we had a song leader, and we sang under the hymnals, and we sang songs like Victory in Jesus. We sang songs like I've Got a Mansion uh, over, the, over the Hilltop, yes, Ira Stanfield. We sang a song that was Ernie Seymour's, the song leader, his favorite, called Nothing But the Blood. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I want you to hold on to your seats for just a moment. The gospel, in every culture, there are parts of the gospel that are offensive to that culture. Hear me. In the builder generation, to speak about the wrath of God that was understood, to speak about personal responsibility that we have sinned against God that was understood. In our present day world, in Western thought and American thought, when we read the first 11 chapters of Romans and chapter 2 and chapter 3 and we hear about the wrath of God, we're offended. when we hear about a just God in our illogical Western mind that insists that everything tie together in the sequence that we wanted to tie together, we say, how could God be just and yet be a God of wrath? And so we understand God's love and we come to God because of his love. But Paul said this, that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And Ernie Seymour, who had been a coal miner, he was a rough dude, a rough dude. And between the power of the gospel and Elizabeth, his wife, they made something out of him. And he was respected. But he's every... And the the song leader introduced the songs. They always had a testimony. And he would say... When I come home from work and my, my clothes in the mine or with the equipment, they're terribly dirty. And Elizabeth will try Tide or All or Dash or whatever the popular detergent was. And she'll do her best to clean them up so I have clean clothes to go to work next week. But he said, nothing, nothing could wash away my sins except the blood of Jesus Christ. And then we'd launch into what could wash away my sins and we'd sing that song. And Paul says this, he said, Church at Rome, because of the mercies of God, I exhort you to present your body and renew your mind because that is your 
not only your reasonable service, that is your spiritual service, or that is your response to the mercies of God. There's three things about the gospel that are undeniable, and without these three things, the gospel does not stand, and the gospel loses its power. Number one in your notes is that the Son of God emptied Himself for you and me and became a servant, and He came to us, John 1.14, and we beheld Him as the, we beheld Him, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He came to us. Philippians 2, 7 and 8 says this, that He emptied Himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. God, God, emptied Himself, made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. The second thing is this, that He... Christ died on the cross as a substitute for your sin and my sin. It's a fact of the gospel. No other substitute. Nothing but the blood, the precious blood of Jesus Christ would satisfy. And the third thing is that Jesus rose from the grave as the first fruits of a new world. And this ought to get an amen from everybody. When he rose from the dead... He rose as the first fruits of a new world order that G20 will never accomplish. The United Nations will never accomplish. He rose from the dead as the first fruits, God's word says, because his plan and will is to bring many sons and daughters to glory. And the first fruits of this new world order, if you want to put it this way, it's a renewed whole world. It's called the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, it's not rules and regulations, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Praise God. Amen. And I'm, I'm at least a second fruit. How about you? All right, I'm part of that. He's the first fruit, I'm part. But it made it possible for you and me. And so Paul says to the church, I urge you, I beseech you, according or in view of the mercy of God. What he's saying, you can do this because God's done this for you. The second thing is that the gospel changes us from the inside out. Because he touches our hearts. God's plan has always been, it's been prophesied in the Old Testament. His words were that he would have a people who would have a heart of flesh. That means a soft heart towards him rather than a heart of stone. He touches our hearts. Religion tries to change us from the outside in by rules and regulations. This morning, as we entered worship, You and I heard the deep, deep, deep worship of a man who's been touched by God. Deep worship. God comes to touch our lives. Paul said that I pray that you would know the height and the depth and the and the length and the width of the love of God in Christ Jesus for you and that he would strengthen you in the inner man. By the might of the Spirit, that inner man is that person on the inside 
that no one knows, and perhaps you don't even know yourself, but God knows you, and, and He wants to come and touch us to things that perhaps we're not even aware of, or we've denied, or we won't take ownership in our life, or it's sin that has caused bondage, and and we need the Lord to save us and set us free and deliver us by His strong arm who is mighty to save. And when God does those things and He touches our heart, it's not just here, it's like it goes all the way down to where we live and it's something beyond words. And, And that's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He changes us from the inside out. Mark chapter 7 Mark chapter 7, um, Jesus had his disciples, and he had said that, he said, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, and neither did they. They left their nets. They left being physicians. They left being tax collectors. They followed Jesus, the, the rabbi, for, I don't know, it was over two years. They had no guaranteed place to stay, and, and it was just that you go and proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God and pray for people and heal them. Prepare my coming, and, uh, but take no script. That's no money, no bread, no, nothing with you God will provide. Uh, but what that meant, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced what that meant. There are sometimes they didn't have any place to stay or sleep. They didn't have regular meals. And uh, in Mark chapter 7, the Pharisees came upon them, and the Pharisees were one who made all kinds of rules and regulations about religion, thinking that they could force and control people into a certain way uh, that from the outside in. And they came and they saw Jesus and the disciples and they were eating food and they hadn't washed ceremoniously according to the law. They're just eating, probably starved to death. And um, they started to crack down on them. And I mean... They called them all kinds of names, and Jesus said, you hypocrites. He said, this is what he said for Mark 7. He quoted Isaiah. He said, this people honors me with your lips, but your heart is far away from me. And then he went on to say, it's not what goes into an individual that defiles them, but what comes out of that heart. And, but... Jesus comes so we can be changed from the inside out. He changes our want-tos. We were, the scripture talks that we were, that he regenerates our heart. We had a heart that was unregenerate. And and, uh, the, the best way I know, when you're unregenerate, you have no power in yourself, no power in yourself to generate yourself. None. None. Um, a lot of you know I like to garden, and we're really getting into a neat season of the garden right now. My grape tomatoes are starting to, to come ripe, and it looks like a bumper crop. And uh, we got kind that are, they said they're 9% sweeter than the average grape tomato, so I can hardly wait. And, and my grandkids like tomatoes, and if I'm not careful, they'll strip every one of those grape tomatoes out. I mean, they'll, like locusts have gone through that garden. Um, but the yellow squash is coming, and it's like growing out of our ears. I don't know how many cucumbers we have now, and Chris's red raspberry patch, if we're not careful, they get down there, and it looks like the 
Japanese beetles have eaten everything by the time they get through. But back in uh, April or early May when I decided I was going to plant uh, beans, a, a Roma bean they call it, an Italian bean, I went, um, I went to the local mill, the meal, the mill, and got Roma seeds, and, and there was nothing in that seed that had power of itself that it could ever grow. There's nothing. There's nothing. There's nothing. No power. It cannot move itself. It has no power until the planter comes and places it into the soil. And there are conditions beyond it that move on that. So sure enough, within a week's time, the black soil was rich and it was prepared and the beans were planted and I watered them and the sun came down. And when the sun came down, they began to respond. And now we're having Roma beans, and they're, they're really good. We're just starting to get the first ones. They have this nutty-like flavor that I, I, re, I really enjoy. I hope you not all aren't hungry. But our hearts, before we come to the Lord, are unregenerate. It's just like that hard bean. That bean might as well be on my dresser. It's not going to grow. How many understand that? But by the mercies and the grace of God, when we allow the Lord to plant us, in fact, you know, Paul talked about in Colossians, he talked about being rooted and built up in the faith. When we allow God, by his mercy, to shine on the soil of our heart and the warmth of his love, and he begins to water us with his presence. Before we know it, that our heart begins to sprout and our hearts begin to grow. And there's a harvest that's coming because the planter, the master planter, has had his way in our lives. That's why Paul said, in view of the mercies of God, from the inside out. A couple of weeks ago, I read to you that one of the, one of the youth, he's 13 years old, and I'm going to tell you, um, man, I love the kids and the youth in our church, but I can tell you from being a dad and a grandparent, there's something about age 13 in boys and in girls that just, there's a change. I don't know where it comes from. One is annoying, like take a bath and use deodorant. And the other is all of a sudden dad is just the chauffeur. And they sort of go into outer space for a little while, you know. And you just love them. You realize it's a stage and it's going to get over. And you're there. And when it's all said and done, they're going to call you daddy. They're going to love you. They're going to come home and all that deal. But a couple of weeks ago, I, I read to you, one of the, there's a mom and doesn't attend the church, but she dropped her kid off. Dropped her kid off. And she sent a text afterwards. She said, I can't believe this. He's talking about God on the way home. God's awesome. He's gone. Man, you've got to love 13-year-olds. They might be annoying sometime, but they're also unfettered sometime. And before the rocks cry out, you better praise me. God's awesome. Mom, you should see. You should feel. And so this past week, uh, the, 
the place was filled with uh, our children and youth, and they a lot of them liked to go down the Gaga pit. And so I went down to watch three of our grandkids, and we're there, and, and, uh, and this mom says to me, it's like 10 to 9, she said, what time is this over anyway? This other mom, this, I never met this one. And she was there, and her, her boy was there, and I, I said, it's 8.30. She said, this is amazing. He doesn't want to leave church. After a while, her husband came over. She said, Rob, he doesn't want to leave church. I can't believe this. But guess who invited him to church? The other kid that started coming two or three weeks ago. So you have two 12 and a 13-year-old, that age, that age, that age when stuff is changing, they are here, they sense the presence of God and the community of people who are living out this faith and they don't want to leave church and they're inviting their friends. Can someone say amen? He changes everything. The gospel changes everything. How we see life. I'm, I'm reminded of several people today, and one was Art, Art Traster. He was another coal miner. He was in the church that we were pastoring that God called us to come and plant this church. And Art, he, he got to drinking. And he was in the bars at night, and his wife... Billy was a Christian, but she'd about had it. She'd go and get him off the bar stool, and she'd come to the point she had prayed, and nothing was working, and she, she thought that they were going to have to end their marriage because they didn't have a marriage. And, uh, and so uh, I didn't know all this was going. I just knew Art always smiled, and, but I knew we were praying for him, and she didn't say it. She, didn't, she wasn't given all the gory details about how bad he was, just we really need prayer. And I, I went hunting with him. I invited him. We were up in the mountain all by ourselves. And I'm going, as a pastor, oh boy, I'm going to get to talk to him about Jesus. And this was my view. I found out later after Art came to the Lord, it was one of the most terrified days of his life. <laughs> he thought he was going to slip and cuss. And he did, you know, he's on pins and needles the whole time. So much for my overinflated view of myself, you know. But he came to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he went on to be a terrific youth pastor, minister, but he was a local lay volunteer, affected many, many people for the Lord Jesus Christ. And God changed him from the inside out. And in that rough western Pennsylvania, the coal fields are tough. I'm telling you, they're tough, and there's deep mines. They're tough. One of the big coal companies, he operated at that time a D9, and, and it, was a, it was a big dozer. And one of the, one of the men, and, and it was in a recession, and one of the, one of the men did something, and, 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 and he spilled about 400 gallons of fuel, and the boss, who was Jehovah's Witness, fired the man on the spot in the middle of the dead winter, and he had all kinds of kids. And Art went in because the Lord changed him from the inside out. And he's one of the most valuable employees the guy had. And he said, he walked up to the man, he called him Mr. So-and-so. 
He said, I know, or you've laid him off. But he said, would you lay me off instead so this guy can provide for his family? That's from the inside out. And the man, the owner of this big coal company, got up and, and ran around the desk and, and, and gripped Art, and he was, he was weeping. This hard, tough man, he said, I've never seen... He said, I don't understand this, Art. What is this? And Art just said, it's because of Jesus. He's changed me from the inside. That's what God... And some of you are here that you've been set free. And some of you have what the Lord has done and I've watched you and how God has changed you and you're no longer a reluctant comer on Sunday morning, but you're engaged and you're serving and you're giving and you're glad and thankful for what God is doing in your family. Change from the inside out. Praise God. Praise the Lord. And it means that we can now worship the living God because he's changed us. He's the writer of the Hebrews said he's cleansed our conscience so we can worship the Lord God. The last thing I want to share with you is this, is that our spiritual worship changes us. I call this the apply the wax. Remember the wax? Remember the 55-gallon wax? You have to apply it. The word here for reasonable worship or spiritual worship, but the word is used as logikos. It's the Greek word for logical. So it, it has a few different shades of meanings, but they're all important because Paul is saying in view of the mercies of God in our life, our response logically should, should be commensurate to what he's done for us. It's logical. He said our worship, our worship should connect what we're living out with how we're worshiping. Someone said worship is the way we live. It's not what we do on Sunday morning. Worship is the way we live, not what we do on Sunday morning. Logical means that there's a connection between getting our groove on and how we've loved Jesus with our affection and our devotion seven days a week. Spiritual worship, then, is what we do. Uh, Paul said, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. That's a heart change. That's a choice. In fact, Paul had to remind them. And so logical also means that we have an understanding about God. One of the, one of the things, uh, and I, I'm not sure where this comes from. It, it, I don't know if, if it's the, the world we live in. I don't know if this thing is the blame, the Internet. I don't know. But the whole idea anymore in the church, um, there's been sort of this push away for knowing about God and discipling ourselves in the Word of God, the systematic daily intake of the Word of God. How many know what I'm talking about? In other words, we've got it all together, and so people ask me, why do you read God's Word? I read God's Word through at least once a year. I've been serving God, this is 60 years now, 
60 years. I started reading the Word of God through when I was a teenager. I learned something every, every, every day. It's the powerful Word of God that transforms me from the inside out. And, and God, Paul was full of this to, to instruct and, and to rightly handle the Word of God. And so that, that's part of our logical worship is to have an understanding about God when we come to Him. But then he, saw, he talked about presenting our bodies as the temple of the Holy Spirit. And it's because we live here and now in a real world. And in that world, in that world, there were people, it's hard to imagine, but there were people who actually taught that because the body is flesh and it's going to die away, whatever you do with your body, including whatever sins you commit with your body, they really don't add up because your body is temporal and it's going to the worms crawl in, the worms crawl out, they play pinochle about your spot snout. So you can go ahead and sin and do what you want with your body and you can you get your groove on in worship and it's okay. Paul says, sorry to disappoint you for it, folks, but that's not the way it rolls. The mercies of God. He left heaven. He emptied himself. For you and for me. And that's why it says, be, be logical about this thing. Who in the world do you think you're kidding? I, I'll never forget our first church. I've got I to gotta say this about Dickie. I don't know. The guy that was, a, it was crazy. Um, people get really strange around a pastor. Oh, my goodness. They start telling about their grandmothers, how they prayed and went to church. And it's like, I'm just, I know the story. Just change the names. And so um, he was down at the, he came to church because his mother made him come to church. And he was 40 years old. How many know that's bad? Reminds me of the cartoon I saw once, and the mom went into her adult son and said, Son, get up. It's time to go to, you got to go to church on Sunday morning. He said, I don't want to. She said, But you have to. You're the preacher. So, <laughs> but he, he, he lived, he lived a different life, and everyone knew it, but he thought he was fooling everyone. And so, uh, the pastor before me, saw him down at the, at the local mall. It was, they didn't have malls, and they had like big strip things, you know. And he's out on the sidewalk, and he's talking with his buddies, and the pastor goes up and says, oh, hi, Dickie, how are you? And this huge cigar, I mean, just vile, foul. And he puts it behind his back like this, and he starts talking about the sermon on Sunday, and he's going on and on. Meanwhile, there's this blue cloud that's just circling around his head, you know. It's just, you're not fooling anybody, you know what I'm saying? So Paul says, present our bodies because they're the, they're the temple of the Holy Spirit. God lives inside of us. He said, don't you know that your, temper, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, but you're bought with a price. And then he said, to be transformed by renewing your mind. Don't be conformed, he said. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. Don't be conformed by this present world order, but be transformed by living out the gospel as a member of the renewed world order, the kingdom of God, upside down. 
This morning as we were praying, someone said, pray, God, if, if, if we're a sponge, what, what would come out if you squeeze us? What I know is this, that whatever, whatever's in that sponge can't remain when there's a force that's squeezing it. If we're, if we're transformed by God's values and in His kingdom, more and more and more, our self, our self will get squeezed out. But when we conform ourselves and we let the world squeeze us, the Spirit of God, His presence, our desire and our affection for Him will get squeezed out. Something conforms our life. And so Paul said, in view of the mercies of God, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so that means what goes in, what you take in, garbage in, garbage out. Um, it was interesting, Ernest, uh, Ernest uh, I think I called him by name, he was the, the head of the cleaning staff. And uh, God, had, God had saved him. Uh, he was a gambler and worked in the turpentine camps of the Deep South and Panhandle of Florida, and rough individual. And, uh, but he got saved. And, and he took his wife and her friends to church. He was African-American in his early 60s. Um, and I can still see them, and that had an older Cadillac, and they'd get in their Sunday go-to-meeting clothes and with those giant hats. I mean, it was really cool. They're going to church. Church was a destination wasn't something, it was a destination. But <clears throat> I, he, he knew I was studying for the ministry, and he called me Brother Paul. I said, Ernest, I said, what's that, what's that silver? It was a whiskey flask, it is, and he was always nipping on the job. And I, I said, Ernest, what's that in your back pocket? And he, he wore um, army uh, surplus, you know, the fatigues, you know, with the, they got the, like the pocket stuff. And he goes, Brother Paul, I'll never forget. He said, the Bible says it's not what goes in a man that defiles him, but what comes out. That's true. Garbage in, garbage out. I've been around enough people who have been controlled by drink. I, I'll just tell I'm I'm non-alcoholic by choice, but I'm also non-alcoholic as a as a, a credentialed minister of the Assemblies of God. I, I'm non-alcoholic. It's it's a requirement, but it's my lifestyle way before it was ever a requirement. Don't get too defensive with me. It's why Paul said, be filled with the Spirit. He said, don't be filled with um, wine, but be filled with the Spirit. What happens is this, and I'm just, I'm not landing on this because I have any particular, I'm not going to, clothesline preach this morning. But I'm telling you, I'm telling, please hear me. 
I dated a girl, and I was a Christian. And she, I, it's, it's not, I'll just be honest. I liked it when she drank a big glass of wine. It really loosened things up. Was she drunk? No. But it put her in a frame of mind and a mood. But as a young man, it was very, very difficult to resist. It's not only what it does, but what the accumulation of anything that we do does on the inside. What doors is it opening? Who, who is watching? Who am I giving permission to? I know the boundaries, but do other people know the boundaries? And think what I'm doing because I know the boundaries, and they're exposed to a situation that they don't know the boundaries. And so Paul says, he says this, present your bodies and renew your mind. So for me, I don't, ha- I don't have hard and fast rules. I do have hard, some hard and fast rules because, quite frankly, it's easier for me. I'm not as strong as a lot of people. I just have hard and fast rules. Hard and fast rules. And uh, so for me, um, for me, the question is, in view of the mercies of God, is this the response? Lord, if you squeeze me, if I'm conformed by this, what's it going to squeeze out of me? But instead of that, Instead of that, our spiritual worship is, Lord, change me from the inside out. Change me. I don't have to be defensive about it. I don't have to rail about it. But I know what God's called me and who I am. And I serve him with a, try to serve God with a clear conscience. Because God is still changing me from the inside out, praise his name. What happens, friends, that when we present ourselves to the Lord in view of his mercies, you will be living proof of a loving God for our world and in your heart. Praise God. Living proof of a loving God in your heart. Praise his name. Our If you want a heart change this morning, God is here. God is here. The Lord is here. Can someone say amen? The Lord Jesus is here. That's what he does. And his heart change comes by doing for us what we could never do by ourselves. It is the power of God for salvation. Praise his name. Apply the wax. Praise God. Praise his name forever and ever and ever. Praise God.